Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to the final episode in this collection, Building a Biblical Sexual Ethic. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the first three episodes that we did on this because they kind of build one upon the other. But today, I want us to explore in this final part of how can we rebuild a healthier narrative when it comes to talking about all things sex. Um, We're going to look at the most powerful question that you could ask yourself. Now, I'm not going to reveal it just yet, so you have to hold on. So let's do a quick recap on where we've been. So in the first two weeks, we explored how, why the way that we've taught virginity needs to be re, uh, you know, unpacked and, and retaught in a different way and why that might be and how it hasn't worked in the past and why that hasn't worked. And then the next week we looked at all the other topics that we should be addressing when what we've done is just focus purely on virginity, but there's so much more to talk about. And of course, there were many things I didn't get to um, even in that episode. Uh, But then last week we started to chat about, okay, we've pulled all this stuff apart. We know what we haven't done well, but how do we rebuild? How do we start coming up with a better, healthier narrative? One that actually is more effective with our, particularly with our young people. So what did we talk about? Well, two things last week. Firstly, We talked about the importance of actually having conversations to find out where people are at. So then we are better equipped to move them along in this journey. And then secondly, we talked about how it has not been effective in the past to just, you know, spit these individual scriptures at people, but we can actually build ideas by using stories and people in the Bible, which I gave you a couple of examples last week with Samson and David. And these help us to, I guess, communicate God's plan and and design for sex rather than just kind of spitting scriptures. But what I want to do just for a minute, because what I what I didn't do last week was actually just take a moment to spell out what is God's design for all things sex. So God actually set his design out very plainly in Genesis, and then he backs it up throughout the whole of scripture. So I just want to park there for a second because there's something incredible that happens in the book of Genesis, and that is that God marks um, that whole book by talking about how he orders the world by a series of separations. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look in the first few chapters of Genesis, we can see that God separates everything, like he separates heaven and earth, light and dark, night and day, morning and evening, clouds and the sea, the water and the dry land. And then this culminates in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 with the pinnacle of God's creation, which is the creation of us, male and female. So firstly, humans are created separate from the animals. And then we're also told there's a separation of mankind into two sexes, the male and female. 
And then God goes on to tell us that his design is for us to come together in unity in marriage where we are to be joined as one flesh. So let me read to you that scripture, Genesis 2, 23 to 24. So again, what I'm saying is God created the basis of his design in Genesis, and then the rest of the Bible goes uh, about backing that up. So in verse 23, we see Adam said, this, meaning Eve, is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So God's design is for marriage to be the container for sex. This is how he designed it. Now, like I said last week, it's up to us whether or not we believe that this is how God designed us. Now, in the God is Grey podcast, and I know there's been a whole heap of you following um, the, the book club on Facebook, we've been reading On Her Knees. And we can see even from that story, there are people who really love God, right? They have God as a part of their everyday life, and yet they don't follow his design when it comes to sex. They believe that uh, because God created us as sexual beings, that we can explore our sexuality any way we want, and marriage is therefore not the container for sex. Now, my personal belief is that that is wrong because I don't think that we get to cherry pick what we do and don't like and what we do and don't agree with about God's design. You see, what's happening is people want to take the more convenient road, the easier road, and it's way more convenient to want our cake and to eat it too. So in other words, it's far more convenient to love God, want God in our lives, but at the same time to live however we want to live. Now, ultimately, you guys know this, I've said it many times, I'm a huge believer that when God designs something a certain way or he sets certain standards or principles of living for us, it's because this is the best way for us to live. He is actually wanting what is best for you and me. This is his way of loving us. Remember that his no is always protecting a better yes. Now, if you don't believe that, that is also okay. You know, you might not have the relationship with God that I do. You are free. Other people, everyone else, we are free to live our life how we want to because God never forces anything on us. He always says that we get to choose, but that means that we also must take the full responsibility of our choices and also the consequences either way. Now, I want to play you a snippet of something that I heard the other day, and I just thought that this was a brilliant and thought-provoking snippet from Jordan Peterson, who a lot of you would know is the Canadian psychologist that he, he's very well known for his views. Um, But he poses a brilliant question, and this is the focus around the podcast today, because I think this is one of the most brilliant questions or one of the most brilliant ways of framing this whole thing about thinking about our sexuality, and it really helps with this conversation. In fact, I think it helps explain why God might have designed marriage to be the container for sex. So the question he poses is, what do you want out of sex anyway? Have a listen. 
what what is what is it that you want from sex? Do you want intimacy? Do you want closeness? Do you even want the experience to be of high quality? Do you want the person to pay attention to you? Well, they're going to have to care for you. I mean, lust will get you somewhere, and it's not nothing, but but it's by no means everything, and and everyone knows this. People are lonely. They they need and they need someone to communicate with, and they need someone to tie themselves together with. So their lives make a rope. They need someone to communicate with when times are good and to share their triumphs, and they need someone to share their catastrophes and. They need a framework that's stable so that they can have children. Well, there you go. Trust Jordan Peterson to be so brilliant. Doesn't that just make so much sense? What is it that you want out of sex? Like, are you really after a one-night high? Uh, You know, is it the physical high? And if so, then, like he said, that's lust. And he said that's okay to a degree, but it doesn't really satisfy so he, he asks you to think deep, like what is it that people are really after? Or after you are you after something more like connection, to be loved, to feel safe, protected even? Do you want stability and a framework to live your life? And if that's the case, well, can you really find that in a one-night fling or multiple flings? Do you want to or do you want to build a life with someone? Can you do that by sleeping around? Do you want connection? I just think that is brilliant to think about what is it that you're actually after? Because that to me really helps to set the framework of what God is saying in the Bible, that everything we're actually really after in in the depths of our heart and soul, unless it is just for a bit of lust, (laughs) what we're really after is everything that can be found within marriage, which is that safety, protection, connection, commitment, the framework to build a life with someone. So the next important thing that I want to address after thinking about that question, and it's a really good question to pose to young people to get them thinking rather than just feeling things, but I want to talk about the two biggest complaints that we hear about when it comes to this whole keeping sex for marriage deal. And the two things I hear complaints about the most is number one, that, well, sexual suppression is just too hard and even harmful. And number two, that it's religious. So I want to just talk about those two thoughts for a moment. So let's start with the first one that I hear a lot. And a lot of people did write that into me when I asked a question on Instagram is this idea that sexual suppression is too hard. It's harmful. We were made to be sexual beings. So it's just too hard to suppress it. Now, what I'm going to say might surprise you. Well, not this part. Yes, we are sexual beings and God did create us that way. And in fact, the very essence of who we are is based on our sexuality. The fact that we're male or female, it literally forms the basis of who we are. And guess what? You're right. It is too hard to suppress it. (gasps) I can hear conservatives right now going, what? What? Where is Renee going with this? What? I surely. But I want to talk about suppression when it comes to anything. Suppressing anything never works. Like suppressing a negative thought never works. Suppressing a panic attack doesn't work. Trying to suppress hunger doesn't work for too long. Suppression is, you know, you might have heard the saying, like if I said to you, okay, I don't want you to think about pink elephants. Whatever you do, don't think about pink elephants. And of course, the harder we try, the more we think about it. 
Suppression is like that with anything. That's why just, you know, positive thinking doesn't work because when we try and just suppress something and push it away, we actually make that thing become in essence, um, bigger and more of a focus. So the harder we try and beat, even when it comes to sexuality, the less it will work. We don't have the capacity to defeat temptation because we're human with wants, needs, and desires. And this is why in the story of Samson, we see something really powerful. And that is the fact that the scripture says the Lord was with him. Because remember, if he cut off his hair, the Lord left him. And then in the story of David, we see with him, the Lord was with him. Because remember, after he sinned, what did he say? Please, Lord, don't leave me. And then in the story of Joseph, before he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, we read over and over, the Lord was with him. So you're right. We actually can't suppress and win the fight on our own. We can only defeat temptation because God is with us. It is only actually through the power of the Holy Spirit and belief and obedience. And I want to say this to people that go, it's just too hard. I want to say really loud and clear, anything that's worth it is difficult. You know, if we were, if we just always gave up when something became too hard, if we always just use that for everything in our life, well, it's just too hard, so I'm not going to do it. But we know as human beings that difficult things are worth it. That's why we have to have grit and guts and determination. That's why we have to push through. And it is exactly the same in this area of our life. You know, you might say, well, it's too hard because we get married later in life. So how can we be expected to wait? But guess what? We can wait, but you just have to want to. God has given us the tools and we see them at work in the story of Joseph. God has made a way. God never asks us to do something that he doesn't then equip us with the right tools that we need to succeed. We just have to want to. We have to make it a value in our life. So if you read through Genesis 39, it tells us about Joseph and how he was a handsome man. I mean, poor Moses, when he wrote this, you know, he probably was like, really, God, do I have to put that detail in that he was a handsome man? Okay, I get it. He was like really good looking. So he was hot and Potiphar's wife wanted him. So she came on to him. Now, can you imagine how difficult that temptation would have been for him? I mean, Potiphar's wife was most likely very beautiful. But do you know what Joseph said? He said, how can I commit this great sin against God? Can you see what his core value and belief is here? This is why I always say to young people, you have to go into this area of your life with a plan. Joseph knew that sleeping with another woman that was not his wife was a sin against God, and he cared what God wanted. He cared what God's design for sex was, and his belief guided him. So let me ask you this. What do you believe? If you really don't believe this is what God wants for you, then you've already lost that fight against temptation because to you, it's not a fight that you want to engage in. So let's have a look at what, but but if you do believe that, if you are someone that loves God and you want to do things according to God's principles, then we should care about this area of our life. So what did Joseph do next? He resisted her. He removed himself from the situation and he fled. So we actually do have a choice every single time when we are, you know, offered temptation. It isn't too hard to do the right thing, but we have to be active. We have to make sure that we know what we believe going into it and what our plan is. 
we have to remember that we've got the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. And then finally, at the end of the day, it comes down to how obedient we're willing to be with our actions. So you're right. The key is actually not suppression. You know, don't act like you don't have same-sex attraction if you do. Don't act like you don't struggle with porn if you do. Don't act like you don't fantasize about someone if you do, because it's just not going to work. You also don't have to give in though. At the end of the day, we all get to choose. You know, this whole it's too hard vibe. Lots of things in life are hard. We can't just complain about everything in our life as being too difficult. We need to exercise our resilience muscles, our faith muscles. It is completely doable if we really want it. Now, some people have also said that while trying to suppress your sexuality causes shame, because in order to suppress, we have to deny who we truly are, which means we therefore experience shame. But I completely disagree with that. In fact, it really does again depend on your core belief. Joseph didn't experience shame by suppressing his sexuality. In fact, the opposite is true. Joseph actually experienced freedom because he was in control of his choices. He didn't get bound up in a litany of lies because he had slept with another man's wife. In fact, the fruit of his decision led him to living out the fullness of the plan that God had for him. Imagine the fruit if he'd given in to his sexual desire because it was just all too hard. Imagine the consequence. So that's my my first kind of thought around that whole, it's just too difficult. And the second one I hear a lot in purity culture world is that any measures to try and, um, you know, live according to God's principles and keep sex within marriage, any measures we put in place to contain that sexual desire is just plain out religious. Now, again, I might shock you for a minute and say, there's a part of me that agrees with you but I only agree with that if someone else is telling you to do it and you are not a God-loving, God-fearing person, because then you would only be acting in a way that you've been told. And for you, that would feel religious. So I agree. But if you do have a relationship with God and you believe in him, then the measures that you put in place for yourself to not sin, because you know, you believe that sex outside of marriage is sin, then those measures are actually born out of your own desire. So here's the key. We can teach others what God's design and plan is, but it's up to every single individual person to decide for themselves if they want to live by it. It becomes religious when we enforce our beliefs onto someone else. And that is not the way that Jesus ever worked. He never forced his views, his beliefs, or his ways or principles on anyone. At the end of the day, he always said that, you know, we have a free will and a free choice. And this is perhaps why we have a generation mad about the way that they've been taught about sexuality, because perhaps they felt like an idea has been forced upon them. But when it comes to the things of God, we don't force anything else. You know, think about it. Do we force people to accept salvation and then shame them if they don't? Do we force people to forgive and shame them if they can't? Do we force them to pray and shame them when they don't pray enough? It only becomes religious if we force our own convictions upon someone else. That's why I said last week, instead, we need to be more gentle. We need to have conversations. We need to listen. 
and then teach God's values through stories. Now, I want to read to you a scripture that some people use. And remember, I said I'm not a fan of taking scriptures and just throwing one scripture at people. But let me read this one to you. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. You really got to love a little bit of Old Testament, uh, New Testament um, scripture when it comes to graphic detail and old, of course. All right, let's look at Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, that really sounds like such a severe and violent thing to do. But what Jesus is saying is, will you have such a desire for righteousness that it will lead you to reckless obedience? Will you do anything, remove anything if it helps you not to sin? Because this is not about keeping a rule. It is about our heart. It's not about abstaining from sex. It's about having such a desire for holiness, for God's truth, for his principles, and and a willingness to live a life set apart for him that we will do anything to be obedient to him. That is not religious. That is a beautiful thing. So obedience and sexual boundaries out of your love for God is a beautiful thing. And I feel like this is such a fitting place to leave this whole conversation about sex because I'm I'm finishing it off at the point of where we need to be starting with young people. And that is by not talking about abstaining from sex but positioning them into spaces where they can experience the love and the presence of God, where they encounter God in such a real way that they fall in love with God so deeply that they yearn to live their lives first and foremost for Him, that they become a young person taken with the idea of reckless obedience to a God who has captured their heart. And out of this, comes the desire to live the way that he designed for them to live. So it's no longer a list of rules, you know, a few scriptures being thrown at them, but it's a life labor of love for God. And, you know, perhaps you're listening and you haven't experienced God like that, but I can promise you he loves you so much and all of his designs and all of his boundaries and all of his principles are only there because he wants the best for you. You know, when I look at my own life, I'm a product of this much healthier approach. It was never demanded of me to live a certain way or to live by certain rules. Instead, I was given opportunity after opportunity to be in God's presence. I encountered God so many times personally throughout my life in so many different ways that I found my heart captured by God. And with my heart captured by God, I wanted to live for Him. He was, and still to this day, is the very center and of every area of my life. I knew back then, and I still know now, that God has the best plans for my life. So why wouldn't I want to submit to those plans? You know, people like the lady that runs the God is Grey podcast, Brenda, who say that you can love God and do whatever you want when it comes to sex. I don't see any evidence of that in the Bible. I've read her book. There is no argument in there that would ever make me change my mind. 
She is just creating a new narrative based purely on her experience and her feelings, and we've got a generation doing the same. But I don't live my life off of my experiences and my feelings. I live according to truth. And why is that? Because I trust God way more than I trust myself. Now, even that statement these days is considered harmful. Oh, God would never ask you to go against your inner self, your inner truth. Uh, Yeah, he does because he made me. He knows me in my innermost being. He knows me better than I know myself. He is my designer. I'm human and I'm okay with that. And he is God and I'm okay with that. So that is the end of our four-part series on rebuilding a biblical sexual ethic. Um, Of course, the conversation is not over. Um, There are so many more things that we can talk about, which I will talk about um, in the future in maybe some more individual episodes. But um, come and chat with me about this, you know, all the different things that we've been talking about here. I'd love to know what your thoughts are, particularly for those who are perhaps youth pastors, youth leaders, um, who get to outwork this, you know, teaching this kind of stuff with all of your young people. And meanwhile, guys, please, please, I love if you could continue to rate and review this podcast on Apple. It really helps. Thank you so much. Like I said, listeners are just going up and up and up all the time. I think we're about to hit, won't be too long and we'll be hitting 100,000, which is honestly incredible. Anyway, meanwhile, I have got some goodies in store for you next week. I, um, I'm going to save, I'm not going to tell you just yet what I'm going to talk on, but you are going to want to come back. It is something very current to uh, what's going on right now in this world. So you are not going to want to miss it. Otherwise, I will see you on Friday for our parenthood episode. Until then, have a wonderful week and I'll be with you then. Bye.